The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 17, The Bridge Memo, October 23rd, 1986. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, Star Trek fans. Hey, you Star Trek historians. Yes, you tech heads are going to love this one today. Welcome back to The Trek Files. Um, we've got a document for you, and of course, it's right there as always at facebook.com slash the Trek Files, where we post all of our documents for the week. Uh, we really do have files in the Trek Files, as you know by now. It's an interesting one. We're going to talk about, well, a topic that's been in the news lately, basically AI. Uh, hey, have I <laughs> have I tweaked your interest yet? You want to go grab that? Here's a sample, and then I'll be right back, and we will dive into it with this week's special guest. navigator? Do we need a communications officer? The computer should be able to do all of that. In fact, isn't it possible that the ship's computer is a sentient being in its own right? Shades of HAL 9000. If so, then this gives the Enterprise a voice and a personality and makes it more than a ship, but a true character of the series. I make no recommendation here, except that it's a subject you should probably consider and discuss. There are both possibilities and dangers in bringing the Enterprise to life, but it is an exciting possibility. Oh, ho, Star Trek fans. Hey, uh, <laughs> backgrounders, all of you canonistas. Hey, uh, you know, uh, HAL 9000 on the Enterprise, it's a trope. It could be as badly mishandled as the eternal transporter malfunctions. Um, we we should, we should, I wonder if it uh, brings to mind, you know, the progression of a, tra- of a holodeck <laughs> malfunctions. <laughs> I don't know. It's a cool topic. And since he's already laughing, I want to make sure, hey, I could not let him get away last week. Guess who's back with us again? Yes, it's Thomas Marone. You know him from Star Trek Online all these years, designing all these great ships, having an impact on the game that way, and on your your vision of uh, what Starfleet looks like, and um, and now canonized on screen on Picard and elsewhere. So, Thomas, thanks for again for joining us back so soon. I hear you chuckling over there. What what comes to mind when you see this document, which I should say is part of David Gerald's opening thoughts when Gene Roddenberry asked him. Hey, let's do a new Star Trek in 1986. What would you do new and differently and the same? And this was part of this was a section of his uh, document, which seems very sentient now. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, th- <laughs> thanks for having me on again. It's, uh, it's yeah. a pleasure to be here. It's just really fun to talk about all this stuff. Um, uh, first of all, I want to say that, uh, man, um, being involved at this stage of Star Trek would just be so exciting, just kind of blue skying and, and, um, and thinking, you know, what if this, what if that? Um, also, I feel like it would be a double-edged sword as a creative person. I know sometimes I have an idea that I just love and I can't get anybody else to buy into. And uh, and I get really disappointed when it doesn't, you know, doesn't make yeah. it to the final product. Um, so certainly I wonder if David has some of those, you know, some of those favorite babies that he wish uh, had uh, 
had made it into the next generation. I'm sure he does. It'd be fun to talk to him about that at some point. Yeah. But anyway, um, this is why. Much wild. less everybody <laughs> along the trail of Star Trek creation yeah. over the last few decades. Absolutely. Right? This is wild. And like you said, it's very present because it um, certainly we've had um, sentient uh, ship with a discovery. They had an AI kind of infiltrate or, or um, the ship had an AI kind of developed through the course of the series. Um, there was a great, actually, a I think it's kind of underrated, an episode of Next Generation in season seven, uh, I think, Emergence, um, where mm -hmm. the Enterprise computer um, basically comes to life and, and reproduces. <laughs> um, right. And right. Well, in the, in the form of the holodeck program. Yeah, yeah, the holodeck program. Emerging, well, and, right. the, and these little weird tinker toy constructions <laughs> that then go off and, you know, fly off into space and the, the Verderon, um, uh, Verderon fountain or whatever. Um, uh, you know, I, it, one of the things as a, you know, I, I'm the art director for Star Trek Online, but I was the, the lead ship artist for several years. And one of the things that was very important to me is remembering that ships are characters in the show, just as much as, you know, the actors portraying characters, the ship itself is a character, the Enterprise mm -hmm. is a character, the Defiant is a character, the Voyager, Discovery, all these ships, um, they add they're part of the ensemble of the show and they, you know, they reflect the feelings of the show. When you see the ship and you hear the music, it's almost like the dialogue, uh, the ship has dialogue, right? And the, the music of whatever you see, is it creepy music? Is it exciting music? Is it, you know, dangerous, threatening music, uh, kind of tells you what, what's about to happen. Um, and, uh, and so having, having a really early discussion about having a, an, uh, the ship have its own AI personality uh, to make it a, a very explicit character on the show, I think is really interesting. And it's really cool that they were talking about that all the way back um, at the beginning of you know, the early days of uh, TNG pre-production. Yeah, well, I mean, it's you know they were blue skying. They're ta again, like you said, they're taking the they they well knew what was going on. Now, part of this was, you know, they're fighting Star Trek's own success. Mm. It's the eternal. How do we make it exactly the same but completely different, right. <laughs> <laughs> or different enough? And at the same time, it's like, but it's not just Star. It's not just a dramatic, you know, TV situation format. It's like it's Star Trek, and we had this obligation, or we had we. We we sowed our DNA as being reflective of culture, reflective of science. You know, trying to be ahead of the wave. We're still trying to. You know, how much has has come to pass that we projected for two hundred years in the future, twenty years ago, that we're already there or mm. close to it. So they're like trying to stay ahead of that curve, mm. and then be predictive on the social commentary side, and not just, you know, racism bad, war bad, right? Uh, but also, what does it mean personally? And and you know, Gene already saying. Let's not have everything be so battleship sterile. Let's have it be so that people and family, you know, you can debate it. But the idea was that you didn't have to pick, you know, career versus family if right. you're going to be in Starfleet. Right. right. And how do we do that? And so we soften the ship. And, and yes, that means carpet on the walls. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was and that was an 80s. But all of those things were part of what are they? You know, how do, how do we adjust this? And, even, and who are the designers that we make that even further, you know, detail these these kind of things? So. But this big sky thing about our 60s mentality of just taking a battleship or a carrier and putting people at consoles, and they're, they're examining that because of what had changed right. just in 20 years from the 60s to the 80s. Much less, you know, what's happened since the 80s, what's happened in the last 20 years right. since, since the end of Enterprise. 
And this whole thing, people, fans look back at TNG just as a Star Trek and say, you know, why did they change from being a helmsman and navigator to con and ops? And, yeah. you know, that whole, and, and, and we know that they didn't want to start off with the next generation tropes per se to give it its own identity. But part of that was rooted in this, this thing about what changes. And I, you know, I don't know, we're looking at, you know, when Discovery zoomed ahead 800 years, how, that, was a, that was a hassle they had that we'll eventually hear about. How do they reimagine what a ship crew looks like or doesn't? Or I don't know what, you know, I, that coming to mind of trying to stay ahead of the curve, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things in here that uh, kind of, I think, um, specifically, I mean, when it, it talks, so it, it starts off about, you know, does a computer self-aware is an AI, um, but then it goes through, here are some of the other positions that you would have on the bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, one of the very first point is talking about the science officer and, um, and it makes a point of, um, should they be a Vulcan? And the, the, the author of the memo, uh, says no, that it should be different. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they, even and again, suggest, this is David Gerald. Right. This is David Gerald. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and I thought that was really interesting. And then he suggests a Romulan, which I think, <laughs> you know, I wonder how that would have, would have gone down or a brain implanted human, which is um, uh, another thing I think, you know, I always, I always sort of forget that there are cyborgs in Star Trek, even though the main character, one of the main characters of next generation uh, is a cyborg, right? Jordy is a cybernetic, has mm -hmm. a cybernetic implant, but it doesn't feel that way because it's something that he's sort of wearing on his face. But, um, but, you know, having a, a brain implanted human as a science officer is, is certainly interesting and could have had lots of other stories. And we get that eventually with Rutherford, right? I mean, that's his implant right. is essentially a brain implant uh, in Lower Decks. Right. But at the same time, too, I mean, it, this is a step toward data. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, data sure. is, is, a, is, is a species a word as far as not being of a species right. unless you think of soon type androids as a species. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's data is kind of a blending of the AI ship and the science officer. And then later in the memo, there the point four here, the ship's operations manager. And that's actually what data's official position was, mm -hmm. right? Who's the operations mm -hmm. officer, who's the second officer in the ship. Um, and uh, he kind of had wore many hats in that uh, at that station. Um, so that is cool. It's really cool to see how these all these different ideas germinate and and uh coalesce into what the show eventually does become um but uh and the, the even the there's another mention here of an, the alien specialist which i thought um is cool thinking you know it, i could see how troy's um role on the bridge and her em empathic powers and um all the times that she helps picard with um first contact and dip diplomatic issues you know, she kind of uh, kind of filled that role in a way. Yeah. Now, in past episodes, we've had memos a little further along this early development, this R&D phase, where they're hashing out. Because this is, you know, we should talk about, too, this is October. Eh? This is barely a week. This is David's first reaction to Gene saying, hey, do you have any ideas? We're doing a new Star oh, Trek. Wow. So this is like baby, baby, baby steps. Yeah. So this is what people will start. This is kind of forming the initial reaction, but then Bob Justman will be part of this. Eventually, Dorothy, as she's writing the pilot, you know, it's, it's a very small group. Um, Susan Sackagene's assistant is not writing formal memos, but she's in there, you know, being a sounding board too. Mm -hmm. 
And and they're, but they're starting. You know, David has written about these kinds of issues. As I said, his book was was full of some critiques and suggestions. And if we ever get to do Star Trek again, and even not just if we get to do movies of the original cast, but if we ever make a clean a clean slate. And of course, it was genius to have the format, even though fans at the time. And this is amazing to think of it this way. But then, if you look at the way people react to every new Star Trek, maybe not so much. <laughs> but you know. When when Star Trek was just Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, mm-hmm. having a new Star Trek that wasn't Kirk, Spock, and McCoy seemed seemed ridiculous to a lot of fans, mm. and they didn't get you know before we were thinking of terms of a of a franchise and the fact that we were going to go to different centuries and different yeah. corners and different you know now it's so rich because we we turned that corner and that was one of the genius things of Next Gen too so. The the all these prep these early memos where they're trying to break out of the mold. You know, just to brainstorm yeah. and see what's a better way. Well, there's even and, a, a line yeah. in there about we should probably avoid trying to recreate Scotty or McCoy. <laughs> right? um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, originally, this is, you know, originally Wesley Crusher, who was going to be young Gene, mm-hmm. you know, the brilliant but, but still awkward teenager mm-hmm. who needs to be shepherded. He was the reason that there was a Crusher on the ship. His mother... The whole backstory of Jack Crusher and his father dying, and so now Picard feels a kinship to him and feels, you know, the mm-hmm. need to, to shepherd him. Uh, the, the original idea was that his mother was just going to be in the pilot and, and then leave, and oh, Wesley wow. would stay behind. And, and the mother, Mrs., Mrs. Crusher, mm-hmm. was an afterthought, and the doctor, and then, then they like, oh, maybe we should keep her around, because they were, as we hint here, the original thought was... We don't want to recreate not just the characters like a Vulcan science officer, but even a science officer. Right. And let's lean on other directions rather than the tropes of the chief engineer and the chief medical officer. And that's why, you know, we had the the parade of chief engineers in the first season. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, they early on, there was no, the chief engineer was not a regular on the show, right? Like they didn't, uh, they hadn't nailed that down. And I, I guess I wonder if that's kind of because of this, this thinking that you're talking about. Well, there's even one episode where Riker introduces, I, I think it's Biff Yeager's uh, Chief Argyle, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they say chief, not chief as a rank, but chief engineer, right. and say he's one of our chief engineers oh, or something. Interesting. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. They were really leaning into that. And then they, you know, the second season, they wanted to promote Jordy mm-hmm. and have him be, you know, so, oh, let's just go ahead and have a full time. Yeah, he, uh, he skipped. I think that. he skipped a rank. Jordy was a lieutenant junior grade and then became a lieutenant commander when he got the, <laughs> the chief engineer spot. So I wonder if that, I mean, you know, my, my brain likes to think about what the in-universe reason for that is. And um, that just, mm-hmm. I don't know if Jordy was an engineering prodigy or something, but uh but uh, that's that's good for him. <laughs> we are very much again. But yeah, but the interesting thing about this very roots, it's I hate to say it's even a memo. It was just kind of a you yeah. know reply to Gene inviting to bounce things off. And I'm sure David's thinking, okay, this is cool, Gene, but you know, I any more than this, and I really want to get paid, right? But this is the <laughs> this is kind of the friendly thanks for kickstarting my career, Gene. Right. Um, but a lot of the things we look back now at TNG that I, thank God, I was able to get into when I had to write the, the companion, the next-gen companion in like three months, and I had some things I could actually hang to, mm-hmm. some critiques and some, you know, because of this, then here's what happened. And looking at the format of the show and why it's different from TOS and having some, some words from Bob Justman, but uh, I didn't have this at the time, but this is great. We talk about all these positions and 
the way things are done and what's emphasized and what's not initially. And having a seminal, you know, like we don't want to recreate Spock, much less right. McCoy and Scotty. And so here's what we can do to get at it without you know, doing that. And things that people were maybe baffled by at the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, and we had to get used to like, OK, it's an android, but he's not the science officer. He's the ops manager. What does that mean? Right. And, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. But, you know, really, they were it was supposed to be 80 years later. Yeah. You know, not quite a century. Um, I don't know. Does any of this when you when you're designing a ship like that, do you ever have the hankering to say, OK, what's what's changed or when you're working with people designing, you know, the games and you're having your interactive meetings? Yeah, I mean, when we 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 have our own Star Trek Online, it takes place in, um, I guess we used to say 40 years after Voyager, but now we can say 10 years after Picard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, and so we have our own sort of visual style that we have for that we sort of kind of uh, developed over the years. Hector Ortiz, uh, one of our concept artists, he's uh, chiefly mm -hmm. responsible for a lot of that. Um, and it's very, you know, it's it's sort of, we, we started with the Enterprise E and then tried to evolve that by a few decades. And that's what we came up with. Um, and so, you know, but one of the challenges is, yes, we want to show Starfleet 30 years after Voyager, and so we have our own uniforms, we have our own visual style for the ships, but that's not really, we don't have the moral authority to definitively say this is what Starfleet is like in terms of these are the changes Starfleet has made because we're a video game. And we're also, you know, the real point of Star Trek Online is this is a theme park, essentially, like you want to go to Voyager land or DS9 land and, and play missions with DS9 characters and Voyager's characters. So even though it takes place you know, 30 or 40 years after DS9, you still, we still have Bashir on, you know, on the station in the DS9 infirmary, because that's where people want him to be, right? Um, and so it actually kind of threw us for a loop when Picard, the first season Picard happened, and they show Seven of Nine so drastically different from how she was in Voyager. And we had mm -hmm. brought Seven of Nine and Jerry Ryan into Star Trek Online, but she's wearing her Voyager outfit because that's what people expected her to be, right? And that's what you do, you know, when you're mm -hmm. making a game like like Star Trek Online, where you're you want to satisfy people's desire to see these things again. And so we had to go back and redo her character model to match the way that she looks in Picard. And eventually, we'll probably have to do that again because she looks so different in Picard season three than she did in season <laughs> one uh, with the new uniform and everything. So it's it's interesting. Um, it's a balance. That's of, what that Starfleet life you know, does for you. It's a delicate yeah. balance of trying to show progression but also mm -hmm. like you exactly like you said of like fulfilling the, the expectations but we lean far more towards that because we're a video game we're not really we're not actually plotting the, the, the future of the franchise like uh like people like terry madeless and dave blast are you know as as canonical yeah. productions yeah yeah as much as you would like yeah. to and, as, and, and you know anybody involved in the pocketbooks line uh, sto yeah. any other thing that's trying to walk that line yeah exactly uh, be innovative and yet and that uh, not have to go back and thomas it's been so great to have you here um we'll have to have you back down the line sometime but thanks so much for coming in and i hope hope it's been fun to to kind of um look back at some of these documents and you know the then and the now of it all absolutely no it's great to see how how it started and then how all these these lines of thought sort of persist and develop and germinate um, into uh, not just TNG, but even things we're seeing in, you know, later Enterprise and now even Discovery and Strange oh, yeah. New Worlds. I think some of the stuff pays off 
uh, as it germinates over time. So it's uh, it's been a real Absolutely. pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Everybody, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment, of course, please do, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, yeah, that's me at larrynemachek.com. That's where you can link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.